Well, hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Red Couch Theology Podcast. Hey, this week, it's a super light subject. We're going to be talking about divorce. When's it okay? When When isn't it? And we're also going to be talking about interpretation of Scripture because... Let's be honest, this this subject matter is very difficult to figure out in the scriptures. Uh, we're also going to be fielding multiple questions from you all about singleness, about how to enter in a marriage in a healthy way. Without any further ado, let's dive in to this week's episode. Thanks for tuning in. Heidi ho, everybody. Oh, is it that time already? It's that time. Huh. I love it. It's, uh podcast time. Well, are you going to take your coat off for those people watching on video? Because it feels like you're about to leave at any moment. I might. You might leave, I or might you might take leave. your coat off. I might just leave. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm kind of cold. I'm kind of cold, yeah. and here's the deal. Um, I'm I'm more naturally wired to be uh, pretty warm all the time. I would say you're a warm person. I'm, I'm, yeah, I like oh, overheat easily, all these sorts of things. But I live in a household with all girls. <laughs> and they keep it so stinking warm in our yeah. house that like I feel like I feel like I've suddenly like I climatize to it. You guys are one of those like seventy-eight degree houses or something. Yeah. Like, like, like there's times I'll come home and it's like 77, 78 degrees in our oh, house. Man. And I'm like I'm like this is insane. So our house is that temperature in the summer because I refuse to run the air conditioning all day, every day. Yeah. So I'm like, no, 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 no. We're gonna like, we're gonna keep it cool in the morning. We're gonna let it heat up, and then it'll drop off in the evening. So yeah. we get to, yeah, we've we've had multiple days where it'll say 80 in the afternoon in the summer. Um, and yeah, everyone no, like, I just waste a mass amount of energy both seasons. Ah, um, genius. Yeah. It's great. Mm-hmm. So, but as as a result, then I go to an average environment. Like, <laughs> during the summer, I'm always overheating. Yeah, because you're always. But then cold, in winter, cold. I like get acclimatized to being too warm. And now you're like this. This so very like, cold mild environment is making you cold. Because I have like freezing girls. Poor everywhere. little bunny. Um, <laughs> anyway, well, we are not talking about that. No, we aren't. Much more. Um, we are talking about. I love the paranoia. We always do. I'm you good. always check. No, we don't always. <laughs> That's the problem. Ninety nine point nine percent of the time we do. Yeah. Um, um, okay. Okay. How are you doing? What do you want to talk about today? I'm doing great. Yeah, I just uh, just had a couple of delightful meetings. And, uh, we should here. talk about the Three same thing we back. talk about every week. Which is your sermon from the previous week. Every week, same thing. Well, yeah. yeah. Well, unless it's someone else's sermon, and I guess then it's just their sermon. And then I'm just like this bit part person on this show that I helped. I almost got us a table for this space. You did? Almost. I almost got Drew's table that that he was trying to give away. I thought we could set it up as a different set look. In case we had more guests, we could have like a table setting version. And then he he said I had to come pick it up, and I was like, man, never mind. Drew. It's like an Aurora. I know. And then, well, and there's someone else who wanted it, who was willing to pick it up, yeah. and I was like, I can't do it today. So anyway, uh, no one cares about this and, conversation. And to, Why are we talking and about to it? to speak of Drew, who some people know, he left us. It was sad. So sad. That guy was awesome. Yeah. And, and still is awesome, just to clarify. No. He left us. <laughs> for I, those told of him, you, <laughs> I told for him those we said you, all these nice things about yeah. him as go away party, and I was like, I take it back. You're yeah. still leaving. For those of you that don't know Aaron in this respect, uh, once you move away, the relationship is over. Dead to me. 
<laughs> he is not a long distance relationship bus. <laughs> All my friends who are far away, uh, they know. They know. It's just like, I'll probably never talk to you again. <laughs> So if you like him, do not move away. Yeah. Uh, and speaking of moving away. What? Segue to the conversation around divorce. Where we, okay. I see what you're trying to do. You're trying to make this segue. podcast like have substance. <laughs> so annoying. Um, I don't know. I think Jake must have bumped our camera because it's tilted much more towards this side of the... You get to see my trash and my phone and stuff over here more. Well, That's feel okay. Feel free to move it if you want. I don't care enough. Yeah. It's we're both in the frame, so it's yeah. fine. And most people don't even watch the thing. <sighs> yeah. Uh, so this week we talked about this. Is usually your line. Like, can you say your line, please? This week. We this didn't... week you talked about divorce. Yeah. But you actually did more than that. I think. I think uh, you. I think you taught on divorce and on biblical interpretation. Well, that was the dream, right? Because it is a really hard passage to deal with. But it's very short. Like, it was like, out of all the passages we'll do in Sermon on the Mount, this was like, it's two verses. Yeah. 31 and 32. Um, so it's just like, boom, 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 boom. You've heard it said uh, that if anyone divorces a woman, and again, culturally, in that, fascinatingly, in terms of culture, in the first century Judaism, Divorce is only something a man can action. That was not true at different points in their history. Yeah. So, like, but in that period, only men, for reasons Jesus will allude to later, yeah, could action divorce. So he says, in the same way he says about lust in the week before, uh, if anyone divorces, you've heard it said, if anyone divorces a woman, uh, he must I give her a certificate. I could pull it up, couldn't I? I, I was waiting. Could give her a certificate of divorce. Hey, I'm I'm just impressed. He's doing this off the top of his head. Um, but I say to you that anyone who divorces a woman other than for adultery or marital unfaithfulness uh, commits adultery and causes her to become a victim. Oh. <laughs> Oops. Yeah, there we go. Okay, yeah. that, that, now it's better, because I was not full verbatim. I was giving the Alex Walton translation, which is it's inferior pretty, It's to a the pretty NIV. good translation. It's not quite it as good as the NIV. Anyone who divorces his wife, it's better than the ESV, though. Uh, <laughs> anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery, recognizing her inability to control the situation yeah and often to be choosing Make between the victim that's a pretty operative word yeah it really is a fascinating term uh, in terms of like the greek language and everything like it's someone who doesn't have a choice is a good way of that's why victim is a good translation I think. yeah um and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery so in that day and age without a certificate of divorce a woman who was divorced uh, would quite often end up potentially turning to prostitution if she couldn't go back to her father's house, which was not as easy as we might make it sound today. Yeah, like we, so, so yeah. Uh, originally, and you, you get to this, and I don't want to necessarily give uh, re have you mm. make re-preach the whole sermon. Uh, you should go back and listen, because uh, for better or for worse, this was a subject matter that you had to get a little bit into the weeds and bounce yeah. around, because it is... Um, Assemble you. You almost have to do what's called systematic theology with it. A little bit, because because you read it on the surface, and your immediate reaction is, "Oh, Jesus says divorce is only ever 
a reasonable course of action or the right course of action if someone's had an affair. Yes. Now, the problem with that is there's other places, both in the New Testament and the Old Testament, that give other reasons. Yes. So when you read it, if you read it as this is Jesus saying this is the only thing and this is for all situations ever, the question becomes, does that cancel out the other reasons? Yeah, so like that old sentiment, the the Bible says it, that settles it. Um, doesn't work because the Bible also says other things. Yes. So Paul. So then you're like, the Bible says this and this and this and yeah. this and this and this. And then assembling those all together and coming up with something, that's called systematic theology. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. So, so, so then the question becomes like, so is Jesus giving a blanket statement? And, and so putting an end to the provision in Exodus where it says someone could seek a divorce if they were not being cared for by their spouse. In that case, the the language is around a woman not receiving care from a husband, not receiving food, not receiving... Actually, in that case, sex. Like, I mean, it's always fascinating to me that the, the old... I don't think we talked about this last yeah. week, don't we? Like, the Old Testament... Not in the episode. We talked about it in the hallway. But oh, I did we? Bring it up. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. it was fascinating. I thought you might have brought it up in the service. I can't believe I forgot. But yeah, the, yeah. the, the Old Testament had a provision for how much... How many times a week a husband had to offer sex to the his old wife. testament says that or a rab- rabbinic teaching additional to it? A, rab- a rabbinic teaching yeah yeah, so, yeah, 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 okay. yeah yeah but 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 based on this verse where it says in, in exodus 21 if a man doesn't give marital rights to his wife then she can seek a divorce and there's no cost to her and so um, then a rabbi comes along and says, what that is what, talking about is definitely sex. Yeah. And what's that number? Like how many times a week? How many? What's reasonable? So they're like making a law to make sure that men provide enough. Yes. Sexual interaction with their wives. Yes. Which feels very counterintuitive of us to, to now, the 21st today, century. Because yeah. now we're like most guys are like, I've, I would like some more. Yeah. There and, yeah. That's that's a generalization. But uh, yeah, quite a generalization because it's generally true as most generalizations. But if you understand a little bit more of what's going on culturally there, then it makes a lot more sense for this to be a, a mandate from, from absolutely a like a, for a woman to have kids, especially sons. That was her retirement plan. Like yeah. that was provision. That was and the, her identity, yeah, identity, and her well-being yeah, yeah, yeah. and society all these different and culture things. and all the other ladies make fun of you if you don't have a son. Absolutely, so stuff. many things. So like that was like if you deny that possibility. To a woman, it's abusive. It's abusive. If you deny food when you're in control of the food source, that's abusive. So, so there's this provision there that, again, in the Old Testament, is reflected if a man does it to a woman, but by extension, in our kind of sometimes flipped, sometimes equal, sometimes traditional society, raises a bunch of questions. Paul then gives a provision if the other person in the marriage is an unbeliever, they want to leave. Uh, he says, yeah, let them go. If they want to leave, let them go. Uh, and then there's, you're not bound. Like, the, the thing is broken. Yep. Um, so, so there's these different places with different provisions. Paul clearly knows what Jesus has taught and still offers that. So he doesn't seem to read this statement from Jesus Or the as, sample of, like, Joseph intended to divorce Mary yeah. and is praised for it yes. as a righteous man yeah, for wanting to divorce yeah, her yeah. Uh, quietly. Um, you know, obviously, and there's cultural reasons for why that was a good thing for him to do, uh, theoretically. So, so the interesting thing for it's us... It's complicated. The interesting thing for us is is we almost, to a person, 
unless we've done some serious reading, look at a first century culture and assume it was really conservative. And it was in some ways, but our assumption there is from that, therefore divorce was probably really rare. And actually in the first century and a lot of the history of Israel, divorce was pretty easy. Lots of people got divorced and with adultery, it was assumed and even demanded. Like it was like a, a societal requirement. Yeah. yeah. If there's been a, an adulterous relationship, you don't stay married to them. You have to leave. You have to leave. It has to be broken off. Like, like, so that, and that speaks yeah. to some of the Joseph so, being a righteous man. So uh, um, let me ask this as uh, the, as our pastor and the one sort of given the mantle for teaching this subject this particular week, but um, in general, like pastorally was your, what was the tension you were feeling leading up to this message? So, so yeah, the, the tension is very much around. Um, we've got a lot of people in our church community that are on a second marriage or a third marriage. They've gone through the pain of divorce. They've been through the moments perhaps where they thought this would fix everything. And they realized, no, 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 it never fixes everything. It, yeah. it's, it's somewhat like, like the feeling in reverse. It's not like returning to ground zero and no, starting over again. No, no, it's never, it never is. Like, it's somewhat like the feeling my wife, Laura, and I had when we got married. We assumed that the Atlantic Ocean that divided us would just disappear. And then we realized, no, we would both have families on different sides of it. And it would always be a thing for us. That's why my kids have crossed the thing like 50 times before the age of 11. Yeah. Um, divorce is like that in reverse. It's like you think that you can just put everything back to the way it was and it doesn't. There's all of these. It's, it is like in the, the language of Louis de Bonnet, it's, it's two trees that have grown together to an extent being mm. ripped apart. And there's damage to the root systems, there's pain, there's trauma, there's all those different things. And, and then for some of those people, now I get to see them, they have got into another marriage and they seem to be flourishing. There yeah. seems to be life and goodness and blessing and God seems to be present with them and they're learning and growing together. Is God's purpose in teaching around this to make them feel really, really guilty and shameful about something that they chose to do maybe... 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago. No, that doesn't seem to be the way of Jesus. So, so really wanting to give people that have been down this pathway, this sense of God is gracious. God is good. I think you use this beautiful language when you preached on divorce, like God's grace is greater than your divorce. Um, so, so wanting to hold on to that, but then also wanting for people in the midst of it or people who might get into these places in the future to recognize God is deeply passionate about marriage that he never treats divorce lightly, that his provisions to help marriage or, or to, to ask that marriages or demand, perhaps, let's say, marriages are permanent, um, lifelong, monogamous relationships is out of his deep care for human beings. Yes. Out of the recognition of the trauma it is when a covenant's broken, when something that's meant to be permanent is broken, is broken. Yeah, and this particular <clears throat> text taken in isolation can be one of the heaviest mm -hmm. texts on the side of like, well, we joked about it this a little bit this last week. The big idea of this text is don't do it. It's really, really bad. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, so realizing like 
Which is true. G- Jesus is it, trying to reverse really, really the bad. easy divorce yeah, 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 yeah. culture here. He's yes. trying to take a culture that says, it doesn't matter, but yeah, just give a certificate. Like, yeah. Um, and, and to show where that language comes from, we went back into Deuteronomy 24. Deuteronomy 24 is a case study, not a, not a commandment, not a law, but a case study of like what if questions. Uh, Moses answers the what if question of what if a man like chooses to give his wife a certificate of divorce because he has found something unseemly in her is the language or, you know, uh, yeah. Um, like, like it, it's, it, it's focus is on dealing with a problem that their society had that was that men were getting divorces or ending relationships. They had all the power of the finance of the, uh, the money-making ability. They were getting divorces and just casting women aside who then had no provision in this agrarian society where everybody works and ekes out a living. Yeah. Um, they were either going to prostitution or having to try and go back to their parents, which oftentimes was a weight and burden for the parents. Perhaps the parents are dead. Perhaps that's not even an option. Yeah. So, so Moses writes this, this case study in order to show, no, make sure you give a certificate of divorce. Like that enables her to get remarried. This was like she's justifiably back on the market. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. It, it was a grace. Yeah. It was a grace. Yeah, it, it's like yeah, because women were so often seen as possessions in ancient Near East societies. It, it's like having a title to a piece of land. Yeah, it's like I can no, you you can move on. Like, yes. take this. There's, there's a legality. You can legally to this. move like, on and legally get married, and a man will even consider that because mm-hmm. he knows. Um, that she has the and, and one of the things I didn't even get a chance to talk about on Sunday, because again, it's, it's so much to talk around on this subject. We find it really hard to imagine how hard adultery, uh, how, how hard adultery was on a society. Um, like it could cause wars when someone stole somebody's wife. So making sure that there was the paper trail of no, no, this is okay. Yeah, this is good. Like you can move on. This is healthy. Uh, was so important in writing this law. So this case study was, sorry, not law, yeah, case study was written to deal with a problem in society three and a half thousand years ago. A whole bunch of rabbis start discussing it around Mm -hmm. the subject of, well, this must be a law showing that a man can divorce a woman and a woman can't divorce a man. That's written in here, even though it's not. And then what, what is the thing that makes it okay? What's the thing there that says, like, this is something indecent? Um, what Define indecent, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so, so in these two, like, these giant larger-than-life rabbinical schools led by these two giant larger-than-life rabbis, one says, it's only adultery. And then one says, if she burns your dinner. Yeah. Like, if she's like, yeah, anything that you don't like. Yeah. Um. Like like that that there were even rabbis that started to say things like if a man sees a woman more attractive than his wife to him, that's justifiable reason to go and divorce the previous wife. Like that's how stark it is. So you start to get a picture then. This is the, the culture Jesus speaking. This is into. the culture Jesus is in. And and then when there's these little phrases like when it says anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce because of the high culture 
of the high context society that he's in. Everybody has this verse that they go back to when they hear certificate of divorce. Yeah. Like, oh, he's talking about Deuteronomy 24. Yeah. So, okay. So this is where I want to like take a little bit of a detour um, and talk about this high context, low nah. context. Yeah. Uh, cause so, cause, cause uh, Sunday, well, well maybe to summarize a little bit of what you ended up teaching on Sunday about divorce, then we can move on. Um, it, the tension that you were describing just now is this, this tension of like the, the scriptures. If you look at the entire scope of the scriptures, the teaching on divorce, it's a complicated, messy mm-hmm. issue that it does appear to be God condescending to the brokenness of humanity and trying to figure out the least toxic yes. way to do this. Yeah, but yeah. the ideal is crystal clear. Mm-hmm. Marriage is powerful. It yeah. is like, uh, societies historically that have had strong, robust family systems are more successful societies historically. That's a sociological longer, reality. Happier. On and on and on. Yeah. Marriage is so, so, so important. Mm-hmm. And it's worth putting maximal effort into. It's worth working ridiculously hard. Absolutely. So, so pastorally, you're like, we want to uphold this. Yes. And yet there's a lot of fallout that's already taken place in the past. And so you ended with this big idea of like um, grace for the past, grace and hope for the future. Yeah, and I, ne- I nearly ended with... I, I, mean, ne- I remembered it, man. Thank you. Way to go, You must man. have preached it, well, well, knocked it out of the park. You know what? I, ne- I nearly said grace for the past and hope for the present. But I didn't like to take grace out because it seems like yep. with Jesus there's always grace. Yep. Like now grace is not permission to do whatever you want. That's never how it's talked about or designed. Yeah. But it is like grace is this beautiful recognition of our human flaws and weaknesses. Yeah. That God in his goodness continues to work with people who aren't perfect, even when they are labeled follower of Jesus. Yeah. Um, so I didn't want to take grace out, but I did want to reiterate Actually, I think if you're in this place where you're like, we're, we're thinking about calling it, like we're, 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 the documents are in front of us, we're about to put ink on paper. Like it feels worth saying to people, are you sure? Yeah. Like, is that like, what are the reasons? What is God saying in that? Is there this invitation to say, um, yeah, to, to say, can you and Jesus keep working on this together? Now, what I didn't want people to hear again with this complicated subject is I didn't want people to to hear if you're in abuse in an abusive relationship, you should move back home. Like, like, because, because I don't believe what Jesus says here takes away the provisions in Exodus to say, no, if you're being neglected, abused, all those different things, no, no, it's okay to leave. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't want people to hear that because I think that's the, I've, I've actually heard that teaching. Yeah. I've heard the teaching of no, 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 just stick around, like keep handling the abuse because who knows that might convert your husband or that might convert your wife somehow, like some some way, like if they keep beating on you, it might turn them around. And that doesn't seem to be what, to me, what Jesus is getting at here. Yeah, and there, there might be someone who God gives a special grace to be able to handle some sort of an interaction like that. But, yeah. but 
God also seems to be very clearly familiar with his own creation and understands the intensity of that and doesn't like and seems to allow for the uh, and I think I think and actually yes. advocate for the, the raw times where people have walked into abusive situations in all sorts of environments even outside of marriage like one of my favorite historical stories is a guy called Will Tol Pekitty who was the only guy who was in Auschwitz prison camp escaped and then chose to go back to Auschwitz. Yeah. So he could help other people escape. Like like and someone someone once said when God designed humans he had Will Told Pekitty in mind. Like this was like a guy who just like just beautifully lived out those things. We we've talked about missionaries well, that have gone into environments. Who, yeah. Elizabeth yeah. Elia and um her like sisters in faith that went back to the people that killed her husband. Um Yeah, so there's there's but, some beauty in that, but, but it's, it's always also choice. Like, yes. It's never like a passage guilting you into it that's like bashing you over the this head. This is out saying, of delight in God. And those people uh, tend to have like a special, like God has given them a calling mm-hmm. and gifts them with with a special grace to to engage these heavy environments for his glory um, That's that's beautiful. And there might be someone who's just like so intimately in connection with Jesus, hears the whisper of an invitation from his voice, says... I've got a plan and a dream for you and how to engage in this really hard environment and lean into that. But it and could that, also be the voice of guilt and shame. Exactly. And so having wise people around you that you can check that with. And like, I, I am always convinced that the voice of God can handle testing, um, that it can handle oh, yeah. good conversations. It mm-hmm. doesn't, it doesn't like, yeah, it's not a guilt voice. It's not a shame voice. Um, so on the one hand, like I think of this passage, like this sounds pretty heavy. But I think of this passage, um, and again, it's semi-related, semi-not related. In Hebrews 12, 4, it says, In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Mm. Um, like, sin is really bad. Mm-hmm. Really bad. And it's worth working so ridiculously hard to fight that it's like the equivalent of being of shedding your blood. Mm. Like, this is, it's, I mean, Jesus shed his blood because yeah. of sin. and we that's how toxic sin is to the human being to yourself and um again like we have these outs that divorce uh that the scriptures teach that are potentially healthy or better alternatives like lesser of two evil alternatives to for, for for divorce but on the one side pastorally it's like if you haven't resisted that option to the point of shedding your blood in the sense mm-hmm. that like um, you've done everything, you've gone to counseling, you've sought advice, you prayerfully, because the divorce, even if it's from a highly toxic marriage, it's still painful. Yeah. And, and, and it's and- worth trying to figure out an environment that to make it work at all cost, even. And, and then if that ship sails, okay, God is God understands and he there's these different options anyway so that's this weird tension with it's such a weird tension that you're trying to hold on to and and yeah yeah I I I so grace I I think the past, that there's this there's the this space that we're in in modern society and we'll get to the context piece but I think we ask different questions which makes makes it hard for us to take passages of scripture and and fit them perfectly around 
even questions like how we see marriage. Jesus yeah. is talking to a whole group of people um, who saw marriage in terms of like survival, in terms of um, descendants, in terms of honor. Um, and we often, our language is, we see marriage around happiness. Yeah. So what am I going to get out of this? Yeah. So, so, and, and, and there's not actually like a lot of the, the, the provisions that scripture gives for, for, for that, for, for divorce. And I believe it does give those like fairly tight boundaries, like under these circumstances, even though it's the senses like God's heart is hurting because he knows the hurt that we'll experience yeah. primarily. That's different than the questions we ask around, am I happy? Is this person giving me everything that I hope for in a spouse? Mm-hmm. And, and I think like, so, so I'm always fascinated by the number one, the, the most popular year to get divorced is year eight. Like that's like comfortably the year that people get divorced. I know the most popular. It's like a funny yeah, way yeah, of wording yeah, it, one, but yeah, the, one, the yeah, most yeah. common. Yeah, common. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's the one we wanted. We were it's aiming the year, for year that eight trends when we on started. Twitter. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah, that's yeah, the, yeah. You year eight person. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's the most common year to get divorced. Yes. And when you hear like the language of the seven year itch, yeah. So like some psychologists are even starting to say. Year seven is the year that you you remember you recognize like the other person isn't changing. They they are who they are. Like adult humans don't change very easily. Uh, yeah. In actual fact, like spiritual revelation or like spiritual transformation is quite often an area they do change. But in terms of just everyday life, like like by the time you hit that that place in life, you're kind of who you are. And so if you're in a space where you're like, I've got this spouse and they're just annoying me because like, like I leave drawers open all the time. It, it drives my wife crazy. I don't know how much capacity I have to not leave drawers open anymore. Um, and that's just a stupid example. Maybe I can actually change that, but, but there's other elements that I don't even know that I'm doing that yeah. I am who I am. And if your goal is to change, I'm like, they're probably not getting that message. Yeah. And this is the, so year seven is the year that people either say, I can learn to live with that and focus on my own health in the midst of that and focus on my own development in the midst of that. Or I'm out, I'm done, I'm running. And so that's the reason some psychologists would say year eight is the year people go. Um, now, I, I've got this like kind of back in my mind theory that because Christians believe in transformation, because we talk about it a lot more than people in other areas of society, we extend it out a fair bit longer. Yeah, it might like, be year nine or ten. Yeah, or yeah, 11, 12. But, we but, suck it up for another, yeah. But eventually there comes this point where you say of the other person, they are who they are to a degree. There's ways I need to change, and there's also ways I need to look after my own health. And I can live with the person that they are. Or you say, no, I can't. Um, and that's just like, that's a modern society thing. Yeah. It's not really a first century thing. So, so, so my, my feeling is around scripture is that, that Jesus says, like, that isn't a reason to just call it. Like, yeah. you, that, that's, not, that's not one of the reasons he gives or scripture gives. Yeah, because God designed marriage for a higher purpose than just 
your personal sort of ooey gooey satisfaction yeah. feeling. And that's some of the things Paul stops. Like either whether it be like, you know, you know, people go into marriage for a, a number of reasons. Uh, some of them might include like, you know, they make me feel really good. Mm-hmm. They make me think that I'm better than I think I am. Uh, sexual gratification. Um, and none of those uh, financial, are bad things. No, these are not bad things, but it, they're not strong enough to sustain the weight of a marriage. Uh-huh. Instead, there's yeah. something, a bigger thing, which is about God's kingdom, about uh, learning to die for to self. Like God, marriages are transformative because you have to let go of things. So, They're so, not yeah. transformative because you get a whole bunch of stuff from the person. And the, 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 there's this moment where Jesus is asked by the Pharise- the Sadducees, will there be marriage in the resurrection? And they give him a stupid little like, like imaginary mm. situation. Supposing there's a woman and she's married to a man and then she dies, he dies without kids. And so she marries his brother and then he dies and there's seven of them and they've all seven have been married to her. And in the resurrection, who's husband is she like who's whose wife is she and it's all supposed to be this ridiculous scenario and they're kind of like ha 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 but he can't answer this and jesus is like don't you understand the resurrection there'll be neither marriage nor giving marriage in the resurrection like which we don't have time to cover like i'm not yeah i was gonna say that's uh we're already 30 minutes in and we have four questions and yeah but my suspicion is this (laughs) the thing we will say about marriages in eternity is that marriage was used to deeply transform who i was as a person and to make me more like jesus yeah like before any of the other things that are more surface level that we that we value um that, that that will say no no that person was part of my transformation mm-hmm. um and so that's why hopefully the landing point was yes grace for what is past yes grace in the present but also hope in the present that with mm. jesus there might be transformation yeah 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 hmm. do you want to do high context low context yeah we'll have to do it briefly because we do have four questions okay uh, yeah, i yeah. think two of them can sort of be one but okay. um yeah so this is a interesting because of the nature of the conversation mm-hmm. around divorce and because it is sort of a systematic theology approach where you have to just start to say, I have to factor in this variable in this book of the Bible and this variable in this other book of the Bible. And I have to take them all in context and then try and assemble mm-hmm. from all of these different genres of scripture yeah. and timeframes of scripture and different teachers in scripture and all, all scripture, but it starts to become conf- uh, convoluted and difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a great opportunity for you to talk about one element of biblical interpretation, which if you listen to our show, I've starting to realize is a soapbox issue for me. I love Mm -hmm. talking about biblical interpretation because I think it's so critical. We love the scriptures here at South. Um, They are our authority. There are access to the heart Mm -hmm. of God on and on and on, but they are very advanced reading. So Sunday you talked about low context, high context, Mm -hmm. Stuff. Could you just give us a brief uh, description of why that's so important for interpretation? Yeah. So, so we tend to live in a society where our expectation is that people will give you all of the context that you need. And there's actually a surprisingly small number of things that don't need context. Very few. Like, like if, uh, an example of something that doesn't need context is if I said something like, I came here looking for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And most people might be like, oh, yeah, that's like constitution stuff, right? Like that's yeah. that's what you're talking about. 
like like there's some illusions that you might uh, yeah there's some some illusions you might make to um some very specific things that people would probably catch uh, maybe another example that might have been big enough to sweep the globe enough to to that we if we just said oh you know like me too yeah 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 and then everyone kind of knows like imagine whatever it was five years ago yeah four yeah, six yeah, 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 whatever f before that yeah. movement that hashtag movement me too movement happened and if she says oh yeah yeah me too yeah everyone would be like what are you talking yeah, about? Yeah, maybe maybe a third one is like, oh, it feels like 2007, 2008 all over again. Like there's yeah, enough, the like, you know, yeah, 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 like yeah. everyone just sort of like, so with one little tiny phrase, you yeah. can inject a massive amount of, it's almost like concentrate, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. have one little phrase that you just add context uh -huh. and it like yeah. grows. And, and there's the, fun ways that this, this occurs in different things. Like there was a, there was a season where, there was little enough on television. So many people were watching that, that like everyone was watching the same stuff. Yeah. 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 Uh, you know, there's this great little moment in a, in a British TV show. And, and there's this story about the next day, people are walking down the street and they're yelling out this little phrase to people over the road. And everyone's like cracking up. It's like, it's almost like, like more than 50% of people are watching the same thing. It's gained that kind of traction. Yeah. Um, and so that's that, a that, low con that's, or wait. So, 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 so that, that's, that's a reflection of like how we might grab context. Yes. Yes. But okay. they're rare moments for our society. Like most well, of the is that? Well, because there's so much stuff like there's, there's jobs that are completely different. There's different religious backgrounds. There's different like family environments. We do things differently. We, we, we have so little in common comparatively with the people that we encounter and do life with. Yeah. And, and American culture is a melting pot of so many other cultures yes. that so over the years things. you've realized like this person has a German background and this person's a Latin mm -hmm. background and this person. And so we've learned over time in American culture, especially as this melting pot country, we have to give the context. And we expect constantly. other people to do the same. Yep. So we expect our writers to explain to us. We expect our news reporters our sports reporters to give us all of the context we need um an assumption is generally like regarded as a negative thing if you have yeah, to yeah. assume what do you do just, just be just you assume you make an say what you mean media, right yeah. it's a it's a very american sentiment yeah. so then we open the bible and what happens and yeah and so you open scripture <laughs> and scripture almost across the board is from a high context society so so there like as everyone has the same thing in common they have they have one book like like and even then you have to go find which a scroll they all memorized which especially the boys yes all <laughs> memorized like it's in all of their language there isn't in judaism in the first century and before there isn't a sports culture and a religious culture and a work culture and a there's no secular spiritual divide everything's just wrapped around this one grand story that affects everyone and every other story is only interesting to the degree that it connects with that story the roman story the roman invasion the roman occupation it's only interesting in terms of how it impinges on that grand story that is central to everything the exodus story and the exile story and the priesthood are the stories like yeah. and they all combine into one story which is Yahweh is the God of Israel particularly, and he is for us. 
and we are for him like that and so everything is around that like yeah so like you can imagine like a first century like middle school boy hanging out with his buddies and he says something like i just i literally just randomly pulled up a passage from leviticus and uh, uh, a junior high boy says to his buddy oh man well that one's without blemish (laughs) yeah absolutely for us we'd be like oh they you know we might think Oh, that means that they're pure or whatever, but they might actually mean, no, that means they're going to become a sacrifice uh-huh. and they would yeah. all be like, ha 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 ha. Like yeah, yeah. we're going to end up, this person's going to end up sacrificed because they're so cool <laughs> or something. I don't know. Like it's got really dark. Really yeah, quick, exactly. Though. I don't know. Like it's, yeah. it, they would instantly know exactly it's what they just were just yeah. like. Yeah. It's like it, it's upfront information to them. Yep. Whereas to us, it's buried behind all of these like language translation issues, all of this hiddenness. S- sometimes a phrase that is exactly the same in Hebrew, um, in terms of how Jesus would have spoken it, it, it's like word for word. For us now, has moved through through, through two different translations, uh, and so we get to it and we're like, oh, I didn't see that at all. So, yeah. so when, when in Matthew chapter 19, the Pharisees come to Jesus and say, can a man divorce a woman for any and every reason? We hear a question about, yeah, why can someone get divorced? Jesus hears, and his followers hear, Jesus, how do you read this like generational debate around the interpretation of the word something indecent? Yes, uh, because because that's what it was like. It's such a language parallel and it's so present in the history. And, and and so one of the hard things for us to understand as Western is, is how important it is to go back to the original context and what the original conversation was. And to a first century Jewish person, this context is like smacking them in the face. And to us, it's like just I, I you read might this, study for 20 hours yeah. to finally unearth this. Yeah, stuff I read this like, passage 20 times and never got any sense of this yeah 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 so actually uh, maybe be a, i'll be a little heavy-handed on this one um so the sentiment of the bible says it that settles it for me uh that sentiment terrifies me yeah because usually not always but usually that cement sentiment comes from an attitude towards the bible that says i'm gonna read the surface most obvious in the english language uh, interpretation of this passage, and I'm going to apply it to my life. I think that that grossly underestimates the beauty of the scriptures, mm. and it's intellectually, um, I think it's damaging the beauty and the power of the scriptures if we take that surface reading as the only obvious we should, like we are the only people who take the Bible serious because we read the surface, the plain meaning, and we mm. apply it to our lives. Ooh. Yeah. It and, just and- it's yeah anyway sorry yeah. I, soapbox issue i get so amped you love up it. yeah you're, 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 and 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 the, the the part i would add to that is is oftentimes that fails to recognize that i bring something of me to reading as well so yeah. so i like that there is my own journey my own lens all those different things like the moment that you think you can just read anything and just say i'm just reading it for what it is well, no, 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 you are reading it for what it is. You are bringing all of you. Um, and that impinges on it, changes it. it it's a conversation then. And, and, and you can't get away from that. I still do that. 
Oh, yeah. Even though I try to to look at it for what it is, Absolutely. no, I'm still bringing what I can bring to it. Um, but every lens becomes less dangerous when you're aware that you have it. Yes. Like it's easier okay. to spot. It's, it's like yeah, that yeah, moment yeah. where you like, you, you're looking through a, a pair of glasses and if you're looking for the scratch or blemish, you're more likely to see it. Yeah. You can actually look through a pair of scratch glasses and miss a lot of those things. And then when you look, you're like, oh yeah, there's something there, there's something there, there's something there. Yeah. So like the, the more aware, the better off you are. So, I don't know what's happening behind us. I don't, I don't think know, that they like, can hear it, but yeah. it sounds like uh, jet engines taking off. It does, the yeah. Building. There's a whole bunch of people moving some stuff by the sound of it. Yeah. This is like an old beat-up truck just like revving its engines right yeah, behind yeah, us. Anyway, yeah. sorry, carry on. Yeah. So, <laughs> if you can hear it, I wanted to call it out. So that, that's 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 what I've got on that. Like it's it's uh, so, <laughs> so there's a lot of stuff going on around different things that when Jesus first hear us hear it that they're they're there and i'm going to use the word probably even though i mean almost certainly um hearing a bunch of old stories that yeah. the language in um that's used sometimes in hebrew is remez it's when you can reference an old story yeah while like also talking a new story and so yeah. it's like a throwback to like this other thing and so um maybe to summarize that and then we'll go into some of these questions uh, the challenge is like, yes, take the scripture seriously. In fact, take it so seriously that when you're trying to figure out an answer to an issue, for example, should, is divorce okay? Mm -hmm. Just recognize you're waiting in the deep end of a very, very complicated conversation and you're going to need to do some deeper study you can't just show up at a text grab one pull it out of context and then just read it and say well this is the one i'm gonna do yeah because that's probably the least accurate interpretation of that text yeah. yeah it might be right yeah but it's probably the least um confident way mm -hmm. of reading that text instead study ask questions find the historical context just be prepared to do some real work and then make a decision on a much firmer foundation of what God's actual heart is to a people. He gave us a text like this because he wants us to dig deep and wrestle. And, and, and then also like, like a beautiful question is like, God, how are you using this to speak to me? So, yeah. so, so like, like when we think of, I'm going to pull out a random text. Like when we think about first Corinthians 11 and it's conversation around head coverings. Yeah. Um, it, it might be the, head coverings weren't the point there's something else that god might say to us yeah today around dress and how we interact yeah. with people absolutely um yeah good well anyway i again because it's one of my like little pet favorite subjects yeah. to talk about biblical interpretation we we had to go there a little bit um but we do have four questions this week two of them uh, are from the same person but we're they're similar and sort of related um uh, so I'm going to try and summarize them to the best of my ability. Uh, we have Thanksgiving, Christmas, and New Year holiday season feels like it's one of the hardest times of the year for mm -hmm. a single adult. Mm -hmm. um, we've just begun this sort of season. Um, and and then they go and reflect on this also semi-frustration that uh, it seems like our society also sort of avoids Thanksgiving and just jumps straight to Christmas. But yeah. Yeah, the main question is about like, like what, oh, and then the question that actually shows up in the next post, which is what is the attitude towards single adults at South Fellowship Church? And does South Fellowship want to marginalize singles? Is divorce rate higher for evangelical Christians 
over uh, for than for the rest of the general population? And is it even higher for fundamentalist Christians? Mm. Um, so it's, can you summarize that sort of in your yeah. mind? Yeah. Uh, holiday season, hard for singles. Uh-huh. What's our posture? And give me some data around divorce. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think that the it is certainly a hard season for single people because I think you're quite often waiting for an invite. You're waiting for other people to include you in what they're doing. And, yeah. and, and couples seem by nature to suddenly become... And there's jokes about this all through different television things, like Friends taps into this a lot. Like people, when they're dating, tend to look for other couples to be with. Yeah. Um, and tend to be less inclusive of singles, almost just in that dating phase and then... That only gets more notable during marriage. Like yeah. there's, there has to be an intentional intentionality around it, uh, and depending on your wiring, that might be hard for for the single person to chase into. It might be easier for the single person to chase into, um, and, and that that is actually one of the burdens of singleness. Uh, in yeah. some ways, like marriage has its burdens, has its costs, has its, uh, and singleness does too. Absolutely. Um, yeah. th- there's a th- there's a loneliness that I think must come with a choice for singleness or a feeling of a call to singleness or even like not choosing singleness. Um, it's almost like a cross to bear in a lot of ways. Yeah. Whereas with, with with marriage and the journey with kids, it can often be like I feel like I never have any space. Um, yeah. So I don't think we ever try and marginalize single. Like I would love for people in, in our community when they throw Thanksgiving parties, when they throw Christmas parties and meals to intentionally think, who do I know in my life that's that's single that we could invite into this space? That that yeah. seems like a gift to them and a gift to the, the group that's gathering in general. Um, but you do tend to find a lot of the language you have to use at different points is towards people that um that are married because that's the the majority um that's the the in some ways for the history of the world has been the default place yeah um, and and i've always said like but you even hinted at it in sunday sunday's message i believe that um in one of the other passages where jesus is talking about uh, marriage uh Everyone's like, oh, yeah, maybe we shouldn't get married. And Jesus is like, yeah, maybe not. Yeah. And they were like, wait, what? Yeah, that's like Jesus, you being so. So, like, Jesus is actually extremely gracious and acknowledges singleness as not only an option, a viable option of being in God's kingdom, but a beautiful option of being. And you've taught taught on that multiple times that I can remember. Yeah, with with, through the lens as well, though, that. um, When you're in a room of people, 99 percent of them either want to be married are married or used to be married and know it's hard yep. like the 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 number of people that are like no determinedly and focusedly i am i am choosing singleness as an option is a small number of people so we do talk about it but but even with the the the, the realm of or the the pattern of scripture we've been in jesus talks about anger uh and its connection to murder which affects everybody talks about lust which affects everybody but he talks about it specifically around the language of adultery which affects marriage which is a people. marriage thing yeah and then he talks about divorce which is a marriage thing like so jesus yep. doesn't avoid talking about things because people who are single might say mm-hmm. oh that doesn't affect me why are you talking about it 
yeah like, like you, you have to teach the texts as they come up so it's not it's not a marginalization thing uh but we don't have like this huge flourishing singles ministry or anything yeah like which, that, is, which is which is um sort of i think a, a grief for a lot of people because it, in yeah. in south's history uh the singles ministry was one of the most powerful sort of moving shaking ministry that it ever had in its history yeah and um and we know that we're like we we're aware that that's a challenge but it's also not been something that's uh been addressed up to this point yeah. so and sometimes it needs a champion to absolutely yeah and so uh, our posture, and I think I, you know, I can, I'll speak on behalf of Alex since he doesn't want to like uh, puff himself up, but whatever. I feel like Alex, um, whether for this per- person who asked, um, who I happen to know is, is single, um, well, one, sorry if that's what it's felt like, but I know that Alex has taught and advocated for singleness. And when we've had meetings about holiday seasons or, events or should we cancel this event or that event um altogether we've made decisions to not cancel events because some of our single folks won't have a place to Mm. go like uh to to gather for something or other um yeah like christmas last christmas last year yeah christmas and like you know we had those those weeks where we would just show videos for the week after christmas or whatever um instead of having a gathering, we've made some decisions intentionally over the last several years. No, we're going to gather, even though that it's going to be a very small group of people, mm. because <laughs> some of our single people really need a place to find community and relationship. Mm. Um, so I think, but with that said, that that's obviously still a super hard place to be. Definitely. And, um, and yeah, what was we the, should probably do more. What was the final part of that question? Did I get all of them? Oh, the statistics around yeah. uh, uh, so Christians in, in, and divorce. Interestingly, it's it's a it's a challenging one because so actually, states that are poorest tend to have the highest divorce rates, and ten states that are right wing leaning tend to have the highest divorce rates, but they also have the highest number of people that get married as well. So like. So the stats might be a little Ma- bit Marriage skewed. is a bit of a like first century, like Jesus language. It's a little like, bit more who doesn't, get, who doesn't get married? Um, and potentially if you get pregnant, even if you're not in that place where you'd choose to get married, there's a bit more of a, no, you will get married. Yeah, pressure um, to do so. Yeah. Uh, where, whereas some of the more left-leaning states is like, yeah, I guess we've been together for like 15 years. Like, yeah, maybe we should just get married. Um, yeah. It's a bit more of a of a decision based in maturity. So the data is even a little bit I always, wonky. I always think it's it's hard to find data. For the most part, we've said for a long time. What about for Christians versus non-Christians? Yeah, it's not a lot different. You know, it's it's, it's not it's very similar. Yeah, and and a lot more Christians get married because of the the ethical part. But but it's not hugely game changingly different. And then the other part of that question was, what about uh, subsects within Christianity? If you're more fundamentalist. Are you more inclined? That was the question. Yeah, I, and I've not read any data that says it's particularly different. Yeah, um, I thought I'd ask. I mean, yeah. I would be surprised if you just happened to conjure the data right off the top of your head. I don't, I don't know. Off yeah, the top of my, I, I'd no, have to I've, do more research. All I've read is that for the most part, it's it's pretty similar, and that the divorce tends to get more prevalent the more marriages you're in. Yeah. All right. Well, we have two more questions. Okay, let's go, man. We <laughs> got we have, like, yeah, we're, we're like typically five. We're gonna probably go over, but that's okay. Um. More of a comment. Okay, then we may, may not need to make um, a ton of comments on this, but this is uh, topics like divorce stir up a lot of feelings for people. 
uh, who might need a next step. Things I wish my church had done when I was going through a divorce. Um, uh, he, this person wishes that their church had said, God sees you and loves you. Mm. Can I pray for you? This person wishes that when they were going through a divorce, we see you and love you. Can we take you out for a cup of coffee mm. rather than just sweeping it mm. under the rug, like engaging it? Are, are there any resources we can point you to for healing, financial abuse, parenting, grief? Uh, what my church actually said to me was nothing. Yeah. So I actually, I love that you wrote in this com this, this, um, comment, um, because I, you know, I would like to hope and think that we engage it slightly different than this, but I, maybe there is a little bit of like, uh, they're going through a hard thing. I'm not sure what to say. So I don't say anything at all. Um, mm. and it just more me personally, I'm not speaking on behalf of the church. Maybe I need, I have a few friends who are going through some stuff and maybe I need to, uh, yeah. reach out and just say, Hey, what's going on? How, how can I help? Um, yeah. Yeah, I, th I think, I mean, I think what I hoped people would hear from the message on Sunday was certainly number one. Yeah. Um, like that, that, that was specifically you, yeah. why I didn't take grace out of the present situation, even when, yeah, like, like that is God's beautiful gift to us. Um, it is all grace, it seems. Yeah. Um, and so I, t I tend to be a person that doesn't mind doesn't feel that oh they're going through something let's give them some space especially if there's a personal connection or relationship yeah like i usually just enter into like yeah what what can i be for you how can i be present with you in this yeah and sometimes then the answer is no you can't yeah um and so i then i would always try to give space but um yeah i think south tries to be atypical in that respect um but but there's certainly I think more space for more people to jump into those in personal relationships. Absolutely. On our last but not least question, this is great. Um, hello, in reference to the last several sermons uh, in the Sermon on the Mount series, I have some questions. I'm in a relationship with an incredible man. Mm -hmm. He isn't perfect, but he is so good, kind, loving. Uh, he challenges me and helps me be better. We have been together for about eight months. Both of us. Um, our mature adults, late thirties, mid forties, we are considering getting married. This is our first marriage for both of us. First real relationship as well. Uh, we want to be among those who get together and stay together. How do we know if what, what's the right time to get married, mm -hmm. uh, that our motivations are right and what can we do to safeguard and grow our relationship so that we don't ever consider divorce. We are very much in love, but realize, um, the love is a choice and on and on. Uh, it's not all going to be cupcakes and rainbows, mm -hmm. but it, uh, yeah. So what are some safeguards? So a little bit of premarital counseling mm. advice real quick on the episode. Yeah. And can my advice be do premarital counseling? Yeah, exactly. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe yeah. it's, this is too big of a yeah. question to answer in a single episode, especially with, since we're already over time. Yeah. But there's a second part of this question. It, is it normal to wonder what it will be like to be with a person uh, sexually when you're engaged or leading towards marriage. Is that even normal? Uh, is this lust? Yeah. I would say that's completely normal. And probably if that's not there, then actually it, even like that, might be that a may sign, be a yeah. bit of a li little bit of a flag. Yeah. Um, and so that like, I think even that like sense of like when you're in that place of engagement and you've decided you're getting married, like even like, perhaps like the space to be a little less like 
fearful of that kind of like imagination because it is pretty normal and i do think there's actually been a danger with the church of like asking people to not think about those kind of things at all all the way up until the wedding day and then there being a whole bunch of like i don't know what to expect <laughs> what like this like you know what should i be feeling yeah. um, i think i even joked once about a maybe on the podcast with about a friend of mine who um she was just about to get married and she said like on the wedding day i'm just locking myself in the the bathroom i'm like i'm not coming out till you put some clothes on like just because she was feeling that naught to a hundred miles an hour like yes. yeah we're going and and just so so actually almost like doing research on like what you what you might expect on a wedding night and all those different things seems like a wise thing and maybe um, the best place to do that is just just talk to wise people yeah married couples who love jesus and and just be honest like honesty is generally speaking the best policy when it comes to this kind of thing and find people who love the lord and who can be honest and an old married couple you might be shocked at how open they are you might be shocked yes Um, yeah yeah yeah. absolutely Um, but it's not weird you're not a strange like god made your body this way he made you have some natural uh, physiological interests um yeah so don't so don't feel you don't need to sweep it under the yeah, rug don't feel that way uh, as to the other thing like i'm going to read the assumption which i don't think he stated that they're both following jesus yes. um i think i happen to know yes yeah i think there's always like this this both following jesus when actually see, i i i know who they are and i okay. think they're amazing i love it when, <laughs> when you see two people getting married that aren't both following jesus uh and yet one of them is and the language is like but they're so good and they're so kind and all those things i'm like yeah but you realize still there's going to be this pull in different directions yes like and yeah and and you're you're walking into all the things paul talks about in first corinthians 7 um so if that weren't the case this advice might be different this advice this advice might be different yeah um and so read the 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 question after that he's good he's kind Um, so what are some steps like we want to make sure that our motives are good Mm, or should we get married our motives are good and what steps can we take to prevent becoming the kind of couple that's inclined to divorce so I actually had these four really quick things that I was going to give on Sunday that Perfect. I didn't get a chance to give. Uh, give around, now. Like, if you're in a place where you feel like you're struggling or you're just starting out, I would say like intentional gratitude for the things that you love about the person, recognizing that there'll always be things that will drive you nuts. And, and there is no scenario where you don't have some moments in a relationship where you're like, oh my goodness, like who did I end up with? Like, like that, that, that's not like, I've not met anyone that hasn't had those moments. There's actually a great moment in the movie runaway bride where Richard Gere's character is trying to plan like how he'd or tell her, tell the Julia Roberts character, how he would repo- propose. And he says, you know what I would say? I would just, I would get one down on one knee and he'll say, uh, and, I, and I'd say, you know, I can guarantee there's moments where both of us are going to want to run away. I can guarantee there's going to be bad times, but I can also guarantee that if I don't ask you to be mine, I'll regret it for the rest of my life. And of course, cheesy romantic comedy moment and all those different things. But, so good. but I love just the reflection. Yeah. Of, oh, I can guarantee there'll be moments where I'm like, you are driving me nuts. Yep. Like, like you seem perfectly wired to do things differently to me. And I don't know what to do with that right now. Uh, you want this right now. I want this right now. And, and I don't know. Um, you can't. If your goal is to go into a marriage and avoid those 
I would say in almost every marriage I've ever heard of, uh, you, you're going to be disappointed. Yes. But I think gratitude for the things that you love is a big deal. Mm -hmm. As soon as you can, try and move away from the posture of which is so prevalent in early relationships. I'm going to change this person to become 100% of what I want them to be. No, just move away from that posture. Yeah. It's never going to happen. Yeah, it's never going to be a thing. Like, just... Yeah. Just ditch it. You might be able to move, change them 2%. Yeah. Over yeah. the course of an entire lifetime. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah absolutely. But, but, uh, and I'm not even sure you should get to. <laughs> yeah. Um, like, other things that God needs to work on in their, their life, yes. Mm. Other things that God needs to work on in your life that you're both aware of and unaware of, yes. But there's, there's no scenario where you go into a marriage and say, I'm going to get this person where I want them to be. Um, and, 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 and I would say as a generalization, it's more often women that do this than men. Um, you know, and, and so I think that that was my second one. My third one was, um, was to allow Jesus to transform you. Like, yeah. like in those moments where you feel those tensions, mm -hmm. actually like a prayer life that says, God, what, what are you wanting to transform in me right now? What broken so parts of me? Is this revealing? What untransformed parts of me is this revealing? Like, like, please show me. Yes. Um, I think that's a game changer. Yeah. Because, like, if your posture is to change them, uh, good luck with that. Yeah. Because it's, it's not very common ever. Yeah. And I think when you but go to God. the thing you have control over is working yourself. So if it becomes, if they're, if they're driving you nuts, a great prayer to pray is God, make me the t the kind of person and give me the kind of character that can not only survive this, but thrive Absolutely. in this. That's such a good prayer. And and the moment that you go to God and say, God, please change this about them, I actually feel like most of the time God is like, I'm not very interested in that right now. Far more interested in you. talking about you. Um, uh, and so that, that, that was, <laughs> I laugh because there's, I've had this dialogue with God many times. Yeah, yeah. He's like, uh, okay. Yeah. I'll talk to her too. But here, what, what's going on inside? Uh, what's going on? He's like shot blocks my prayer and yeah. says, what's going on yeah. in there? And I think, and I think one thing that I think, like I would say as a fourth one is actually both of you intentionally. And I, I, I know different couples, Laura and I don't pray a lot together. We both pray. We both mm -hmm. like have a really high value on prayer. We aren't the sort of couple that spend a lot of time praying together. Mm -hmm. um, I have my way of praying. She has her way of praying. They're different. Neither of them are better, but they're, they're personal. Like I love silence as a pattern of prayer. Um, yeah, it just, it just, that's been the way we are. We do over things that we really want to see God move in. Other people pray together lots and talk about the value of that. Mm -hmm. And but but I think in lots of ways together, yeah, great. But individually, certainly, invite God into your marriage. Like be those people that constantly say, God, we want to be aware that there's three of us involved in this thing. Um. Like we want you to be the thing that pulls us together, that draws us together. Mm -hmm. And if we're two trees, as I used that Louis de Bernay analogy, like growing together, be the thing that helps us to flourish in that. Mm -hmm. um, and so those are those four things I would give. Yeah, I'll throw in one for yeah. for me yeah. since I'm a married guy too. So yeah, um, and it's similar to some of the ones you've said, but um. If you go into marriage and you believe that one of God's main goals is to change you, mm -hmm. then when you encounter things that are, are challenging 
rather than saying this isn't working, there's something broken, I I challenge you to flip the script and say, ooh, this is where the good stuff is. Mm. This is where God is going to transform me further into his image and he's going to leverage my marriage to do so. Mm -hmm. Then some of the intensity, the pain, the arguments, the whatever become this continual invitation and calling forward for both of you to be more like Jesus. And so there's times where I'm like infuriated or frustrated or things are, or don't seem like they're working Mm -hmm. in a moment. And if I sit down and I pray, I say, all right, Lord, it's the the temperature's turning up. Help me to help me to like wring out all of this pain for something that's good and beautiful. I love it. And that prayer has never um that I've I've always appreciated what God has done as a result. Of okay, that I got one more really quick. All right, perfect. <laughs> this is one that really helped me. Because the others are general. This is me specifically. Just be aware that there's a tendency in humans to make moral or ethical judgments, moral or ethical judgments about personality traits that aren't necessarily moral or ethical things. Yeah. So I can sleep six hours and get up at five o'clock and be a functional human. Mm -hmm. And my wife would be the first one to say, if I'm honest, I can't do that. Like I need my sleep. So there was a temptation in me for a long time to, to at least imply somewhere inside me that that made me a more moral or ethical person. And it's actually nothing to do with morals or ethics. It's simply like wiring, like capacity, all those different things. Yeah. And so recognizing like that didn't make a less of a person than me. It didn't make me better on any level other than better at being able to function without sleep. Yeah. And I think so. So just be aware that sometimes there'll be moments in a marriage where you look at something and say they should be different in that respect. And the implication they would behind be better it, if they were more like me. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And the yeah. implication behind it is that they're less of a human or less of a uh, a follower of Jesus or less moral or ethical when it's got nothing to do with those things. Yeah. So the day I recognize just I have more capacity for some stuff than my wife. And that's just a gift to our marriage. Yep. That I was much better off and our marriage was much better off, I think. Yeah. And, and it is a gift to your marriage in the sense that you can do a whole bunch of stuff, but there's a dark side to yes, that point. which we don't need, yeah. Sometimes you get to do a bunch more stuff and you become overtaxed in different ways and you're emotionally stressed <laughs> out, whereas your wife might be a lot more peaceful because she got a good night's rest. Yeah. And I run into this all the time. Same sort of thing. Like I can do all these things. And then before you know it, I'm doing way too many things. <laughs> and my, I respect my wife and the gift that she offers to my, to our marriage is yeah. to say, Aaron, you're doing too many things. Yeah, it's like the moment though where you're like, I can do all of these things and you can't. And they're like, and they're like yeah, and I wouldn't want to be you. Yep, exactly. Yeah. And so the gift she gives us in our marriage is to say, slow down and be a real human. I love it. Rather than a machine. So Splendid. Love well, it. Well, thanks everyone. Sorry we went a little over, but I felt like these were great questions to address. So we love you all. And uh, as usual, I'm trying to find the stop button. Woo!